You're listening to Comedy Central. Big news today, Kim Kardashian announced that she passed a big law exam in California. Yeah, on her fourth try. She, she passed the baby bar exam, which I didn't know that that was a, like a law exam. I was like the baby bar was like a place where you took your baby to hang out to meet other babies. Like when babies were having a tough day, then they'd just be in the baby bar together. Give me another pan of milk. Yeah, life is hard. I thought it was that thing. Anyway, Kim, uh, it was just really cool because a lot of people didn't think Kim could pass any of these exams. And now she's on her way to becoming like a full-on lawyer, which is dope. And now what I didn't like is people online were like, I would never hire Kim Kardashian as my, yo, I would definitely hire Kim Kardashian. <laughs> you kidding me? If she could convince the world that being a Kardashian was a job, she can convince 12 people that I didn't kidnap someone's cat. That's what I need in my corner. And she was saying like, she was like, my dad would be proud right now. He's in heaven. He's probably like proud of me and blah, blah. And I was like, yeah. I can imagine Kim Kardashian's there because he was also a lawyer. He's probably looking down, he's proud. And he's also looking down going, wow, how the hell is OJ still free? Damn. Coming to you from the heart of Times Square in New York City, the only city in America. It's The Daily Show, ears edition. Tonight, in Just Like What? Canceling 2021. And Puma Abedin. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I'm Trevor Noah, and joining me for today's headlines is Michael Costa. How you doing, Michael? The year's almost over, Trevor. Yeah, right? Two more weeks, and I realized I gotta get on my New Year's resolution now, or else I'm never gonna have actually done anything. So for the next two weeks, I'm going vegan. And uh, for the next 12 days, I'm gonna do no cheese pizza, an impossible burger, and then New Year's Eve, I'm gonna do Spaghetti with tofu butter? Is that what they do? I don't know, but so never too late. That's my, that's my mission. I think it might be. Yeah, okay. You but know, you know what? Good for you. Nep, I'm still going for it. I, yep. You know, that's what I love about you, Thank Michael. Thank you, Trevor. Always pushing, good luck with that. All right, let's jump straight into today's headlines. We kick things off with the big media news. Every year since 1927, Time Magazine has awarded Person of the Year to the world's most influential newsmaker. It is by far the most incredible honor that most people find out about in a dentist's office. And this year, the lucky winner is a guy who already pretty much won life. We have breaking news. Tesla's CEO, Elon Musk, is now Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Time Magazine said he is different from any other CEO, constantly interacting with Twitter users while running one of the most valuable companies in the world. Elon Musk can also influence the markets with just one tweet. Time Magazine also recognized Musk's other ventures like SpaceX. Musk is the richest man in the world thanks to Tesla which has increased in value eightfold since the beginning of the pandemic. Yay! Congratulations, Elon Musk! Oh, man, I'm so happy for him. Like, the guy could really use an ego boost, you know? And honestly, you can't argue with this. I mean, richest man in the world who also controls space, crypto, and electric cars? Ha! I mean, who would even be second place? Like, maybe Pete Davidson? Maybe? My only question is this, though. Why is it that person of the year always goes to the weirdest persons? Like, have you noticed that? Like, I, I sometimes wonder if aliens came down, I don't know if I want these guys representing our race. You know, the aliens would be like, your species needs to be exterminated, except for that guy, he seems normal. 
totally normal. I think it's just because his name is Elon that we think he's all futuristic. You know, a lot of futuristic things, Elon, iPad, Xbox, e-cigarette, A-Rod, you know? <laughs> if his name was Leon, would you buy a car from Leon, Trevor? Leon you know? Musk, it wouldn't be the same. No, Leon Musk does not carry the same worth. Stop talking about the blockchain, Leon. Do you know what I mean? I hear you. So I, Leon feels like a kind of a deadbeat name, whereas Elon's a disruptor, so I'm not on board. So you don't think he deserves it at all? I think we're all being duped by some good naming. I feel you there. You know? Tesla, that's a good name as well. Right. If yeah. it was called Elsa, you see? We just let it go. We let it go. I'll be here a week, folks. <laughs> all right, let's move on to our next story, which is from California, America's side boob. California is one of the most anti-gun states in the country, which is a frustrating position to be in these days especially when conservative courts are striking down any effort at gun control. But now, the governor of California has come up with a new plan to limit guns, and where he got the idea from is pretty hilarious. California Governor Gavin Newsom says he wants to use the new restrictive abortion law in Texas as a model to ban assault weapons. Newsom tweeted he wants legislation that allows Californians to sue anyone who makes, distributes, or sells the guns, as well as ghost gun kits. The governor cites Supreme Court rulings that have allowed the Texas law to remain in effect while the high court reviews it. That's right. Gavin Newsom now wants to pull a Texas, except he's gonna do it on assault weapons and ghost guns, which if you ask me is a pretty risky move. I mean, you're gonna want those ghost guns when that giant marshmallow man shows up. I don't think that's what a ghost gun is. Uh, I think it is, Costa, I read. Uh. But yeah, the idea is that because the Supreme Court is allowing this for banning abortion, they're gonna have to allow it for banning guns too. But here's the thing, here's the thing. The problem with this idea is that the Supreme Court can make up whatever rules they like. Like, if they wanna strike down these gun laws, they'll find a way, you know? The Supreme Court is like that annoying kid that your mom made you have playdates with. Tag, I got ya. Nuh-uh, I have a vest that makes me invincible. Man, I wish the courts allowed your mom to have an abortion. You know, I'll tell you what, guys. America has gotten so divided right now that at this point, I think maybe, maybe some states should just, like, secede and, and try and do their own thing. Like, you know, have they tried that before? Like, what's, what's the worst that could happen, you know? Trevor, um... I usually try to have something funny to say, but this story is about guns, abortion, and an obscure Supreme Court ruling. So you're on your own for this one, so. Wow. I was hoping that I was gonna turn it to you and you were gonna like... I know, I mean... And then you just left me. If anything, I wish the state of New York allowed me the right to sue you for putting me on spot to come up with something funny for that story. But we're well, not there yet. Well, I mean, it's, it's your job, like you... you yeah. When before we started this, you said you've got my back, and now you're saying... I'm saying that's a tough story, you know, but... But yeah, I mean... Well, that's what we do here, we deal with tough stories, I Costa. Know. Well, you do it better than me, which is why I'm sitting this one out. But at this point, it seems like I'm all in, because I'm still talking somehow. <laughs> <laughs> I, was try I was trying to step out of it, but now I'm in, so... Well, we're in this together. We're in it together. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on from Costa's story that he brought into the show and talk about some big news from the world of sports involving Formula One racing, the absolute coolest way to contribute to climate change. 
Yesterday was the final race of the season, but how it ended is giving a lot of people road rage. Back now with a big story in Formula One racing. A new champion unseated seven-time reigning champ Lewis Hamilton after one of the most controversial race finishes in the history of the sport. This was a walk-off home run, a buzzer beater, and a Hail Mary all wrapped into one. It was the final lap of the final race of a frantic Formula One season. It brought chaos, controversy, and a new champion. On Sunday, it looked like Hamilton had the victory and the title in hand, leading almost the whole way with Verstappen a distant second until things got crazy. Near the end of the race, the crash forced the safety car onto the track to limit the driver's speeds. Once the race restarted on lap 58 of 58, Verstappen caught, overtook, and sped by Hamilton to win the championship in a shocking, unprecedented finish. Okay, okay, I know right now there are a lot of people who are saying, I literally do not understand anything here. So let me try and explain what happened to you and why everyone in Britain is in a bad mood today. I mean, aside from the 600 straight days of rain. Basically what happened, basically what happened is you've got Lewis Hamilton, okay? He's like the LeBron James of Formula One. Like if LeBron wasn't just the best player, but also the only black player ever in the NBA. Okay, you with me? <laughs> so now, Hamilton was trying to win his eighth championship, and for the entire race, he was in the lead. But then, there was a big crash at the back of the race. And whenever that happens in Formula One, a safety car has to come out to make sure that while they're cleaning up all the wreckage on the track, the other cars don't run over the people who are doing the cleaning, because that's just rude. Plus, if you hit the people who are cleaning up, then you gotta bring more people to clean up the people who are cleaning them up, and then it becomes like a whole thing. So. The safety car, safety car comes out and drives slow, and all the race cars behind it, they have to stay behind the safety car, you know? So it's, it's, it's like it's like a, se a senior citizen doing 20 on a one-way road, you know? Which, which kind of sucks if you're leading, because Hamilton was in the lead, right? Because he has to slow down. Meanwhile, everyone at the back can catch up to you. Yeah, and I don't think there are any other sports where this happens. Like, you never, you never see an NFL game where for a few minutes, the ref only lets the losing team score. Oh my God, someone's hurt real bad. All right, would you guys like to score a couple of touchdowns while we drag him off the field? Yeah? Yeah, not you, not you. Someone's hurt. Okay, you guys wanna score quick? All right, go on, go on, go on guys, yeah. And look, yes, it's kind of a crazy way to do things. All right, it is kind of crazy. But I mean, these people are also driving 200 miles an hour around a racetrack, so crazy is relative. And some people argue that it makes the sport more exciting. Every time there's a crash, the whole field comes back together and then it's a, it's a race. You know, so now, because of the safety car, everyone caught up to Hamilton, right? And then with one final lap to go, the race director, he's like the guy who chooses everything, he's like bigger than the ref, he had two options. One, follow the rules and let the race end under the safety car, in which case Hamilton would have won, but with all the other cars driving like they're going through a school zone, very boring. Or two, the second option was spice things up, you know, change the rules a little bit and restart the race, but for one final lap which is what he did, yeah. And that last lap, which maybe shouldn't have happened, gave Max Verstappen, the guy who was in second place, it gave him a chance to go change his tires and then pull ahead and win. So, that's why Lewis Hamilton's fans are pissed at what happened. And his team protested the decision, but that protest goes to the same people who made the decision, so I mean, that was never gonna work. It's like appealing your mom, grounding you to your mom. I've checked with myself and I decided that my decision was correct. And by the way, by the way, just, just as an aside, I love how every sport, every sport has all of these layers of replay officials and specialists and appeals to analyze every little play. 
But then when we're trying to solve real things like murders, we just ask 12 random people on the street. He's like, hey, you think this guy did it? Yeah, yeah, he, he does dress kind of weird, doesn't he? Yeah, take him away, take him away. Thank you, members of the jury. Now, I know right now a lot of Americans are thinking, what, Trevor? Some Euro NASCAR race changed the rules so that somebody else could win? Who cares? Who cares about any of this? Okay. But you'll remember this moment when the next US presidential election comes. Yeah. Then you'll see why this story is a big deal. Well, our elections can never go to the wrong person. So we're good. You know, by the way, this story, uh, dramatic, exciting, competitive, Someone should write a musical about it, and you would name it after, who was the guy that was in first place? Um, Hamilton. Hamilton. No one's ever thought of that. That would crush. Yeah. Yeah. I think a, a Hamilton musical would do well. That's what I'm saying. Good, so now we're back being partners again. I also wonder, with gas prices being so high, how bad it would suck to be a Formula One race driver right now, you know? You got one lap to go, you think you're just saying, hey, just put, put $10 in for this last lap? Yeah, that's they, all I got. <laughs> they, don't, they don't pay for their own gas. They don't, they're not at the, at the thing going, what's my zip code? Shit, I'm getting passed. No, no, they, they don't. That would make it a very, I wanted to say terrible sport, but I actually think that might be the greatest sport ever invented. That'd be interesting. I also find it interesting that they're racing on oil, a finite resource, you know? That's why I support steam engine racing. Because they use water? Well, coal. But I guess that's a finite resource, too. Man, well, it sounded better when I was just thinking of it, but... There are electric races now. And if we could come up with somebody to create an electric car, I would consider that person person of the year. <laughs> All right, and finally, the hot new TV show right now is HBO's reboot of Sex and the City. More sex, more city. Over the weekend, the debut episode not only sent shockwaves through people's living rooms, it also shook up the stock markets. A huge shock to fans of Sex in the City. Mr. Big, the husband of Sarah Jessica Parker's character, Carrie, dies of a heart attack in the very first episode of the series reboot. He's doing a vigorous workout on a Peloton bike. Then Mr. Big, played by actor Chris Noth, heads to the shower where he suffers a fatal heart attack. The scene was such a shock, the company's stock took a nosedive Thursday, dropping 11%. A Peloton spokesperson confirmed that it gave the show permission to use Peloton equipment in that episode, but not that a character would die using it. Within 48 hours, though, Peloton came together to create a commercial showing Mr. Big alive and well. <laughs> the clip has now gone viral. Peloton had also released a statement from a cardiologist saying Mr. Big's extravagant lifestyle and perhaps his family history played a role in his death. America! America! Yo, how does Peloton's real-life stock tank because of something that happened to a character in a TV show? How dumb are some people? Your TV isn't real. You think those dragons in Game of Thrones are real? They're CGI. The Mandalorian, it's CGI. The cost of This Is Us, it's all CGI. No real people can cry that much. Grow up, people. Here's some investing advice. You should not make knee-jerk financial decisions based on TV shows. You should do your research. You should look into the market. 
then you see what Elon Musk tweets, and then you go with that. I mean, I do feel a little bad for Peloton, though, because when they gave HBO permission to put their product in the show, they didn't know someone was gonna die because of it, you know? They probably thought the characters would just hang clothes on it like everyone else does. Yeah, I, I don't like ad placements in TV shows. I find them dishonest, I find them greedy, I find I them outrageous, yeah. you know? Almost as outrageous as the power of four Duracell batteries. The choice of The Daily Show's Michael Costa. Trevor, you can't stop me from doing endorsements, dude, okay? Also, how you can't stop the copper top. The Daily Show's Michael Costa's premier choice of battery. Do they pay you for that? Uh, it's, I'm doing it as a proof of concept and I'm gonna send it to their ad team. So you're giving them free ads and they might not even pay you for them? I'm, I'm taking a calculated risk. I mean, I don't even know what to do anymore, Costa. All right, well. They got different sizes. This is a D and then there's, I think this is an A. But it's a great battery. I use them for all my fax machines and remote controls. All right, just yep. give me the small one. I need two for my okay, remote when you, you got it. All right, uh, well, Peloton has tried to ride this thing out. And to be honest with you, I give props to them as a company, you know, for trying to have a sense of humor and try to limit the damage by joking about it all. But I don't think that they're out of the woods yet because based on the preview for next week's episode of Sex and the City Reboot, man, Peloton has got some more bad PR ahead of it. When we come back, Roy Wood Jr. will look back at who got canceled in 2021. You don't want to miss it, because it might be you. <gasps> Welcome back to The Daily Show. 2021 is almost over. And we can all agree that compared to last year, it has been a perfect year. So for the rest of the month, we'll be remembering all of 2021's best moments in our year-end segment, a look back at 2021, the least bad year of the last two years. Tonight, a special look back with Roy Wood Jr. at the Department of Cancellations. Good evening and salutations. It is time to once again announce the U.S. Department of Cancellations list of approved cancellations for the year 2021. Now, as a reminder, these are actual cancellations. Not one of them fake cancellations that ends up just making everybody richer. Nobody's getting a Netflix special out of this. Not even a podcast sponsored by my pillow. This is an official cancellation. This means you got to list it on your taxes and everything. And everything in your life gets canceled. Career, canceled. Twitter account, canceled. Dennis appointment, canceled. You think you got a reservation at Outback Steakhouse? Not anymore. Canceled. First up, Mike Richards. We all know Mike Richards, the producer of Jeopardy. Not to be confused with Kramer Michael Richards, who we canceled back in 2006 along with MapQuest. We just wasn't getting the job done, MapQuest. 
Take two lefts and a slight right and get your ass up out of here. Mike Richards was selected to take over as host of Jeopardy by the show's producer, Mike Richards. Yes, they kind of looked alike and all the data that they, you know, analyzed, it just showed them that, you know, you already worked there, so it would be less paperwork. Can't blame you. But soon after, Twitter did its thing. And everyone discovered many disparaging comments Richards made about women and Jews. I mean, the Jews. Jewish people. Rosh Hashanah. What's the right? Can we cut? For his terrible comments and the hubris to think his swarmy ass could succeed a legend, the U.S. Department officially cancels Mike Richards in an act of, what is justice, Alex? Love you, trade back, baby. Next up. Ah, former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Emphasis on the former. Andrew Cuomo rose to national prominence at the start of the coronavirus pandemic because in its time of need, America wanted a guy who sounded like Al Pacino to throw up a couple of PowerPoint slides and tell us that toilet paper was on the way. Unfortunately for Cuomo, all the charming in the world wasn't gonna help him clean up the shitstorm he was about to face. Cuomo was actually canceled twice this year. First, for getting a bunch of nursing home residents killed and then fudging the numbers to cover it up. And then he was also canceled for sexual harassment against women who worked for him. You can't do both of those in one year. If you're gonna be the most prolific killer of old people, you gotta at least be courteous to women. The Department of Cancellations approves this cancellation and it sentences Andrew Cuomo to 10 million years in a prison cell built out of the unsold copies of his book. They're gonna leave some room in there for your brother, too. Next up. Ah, the Cleveland Indians. Now, I don't need to explain why this was canceled. In fact, if you don't know why this was canceled, please turn yourself in for self-cancellation. It'll be easier on all of us. Now, I'll be the first to admit. This one took us over 100 years to process the paperwork on, but we finally got it done. There's a big backlog, Cleveland Indians, Kansas City Chiefs, Atlanta Braves. We got the Native American mascot division of this department working around the clock. They don't even get Thanksgiving off. That's messed up. Luckily, I don't think anyone in Cleveland's gonna be missing that name because the new name is amazing. The Cleveland Guardians. Sounds great. Did we check to make sure that the Guardian ain't the name of like some white supremacy group or something, right? Okay, yeah. Sound a little white supremacy. And finally, former President Donald J. Trump, whose vicious lies about the 2020 election inspired his supporters to storm the Capitol and return him to power illegally for shaking the foundation of our precious democracy to its very core the U.S. Department of Cancellation officially cancels him for all time. But then again, his supporters stormed our building, trashed our offices, busted up our break room fridge, and now I have to bring my lunch to work in a cooler. So to avoid that happening again, the Department of Cancellation officially endorses Donald J. Trump for president in 2024. Go get him, future boss. I'm sorry, I'm not about to get beat with no flagpole by them people. They, you saw the way they was climbing like redneck Spider-Man. That's one cancellation I don't, I don't want any part of. Thank you so much for that, Roy. All right, when we come back, Hillary Clinton's chief of staff, Huma Abedin, will be joining me right here on the show. 
so don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is Huma Abedin. She's an advisor and chief of staff to Hillary Rodham Clinton. And she's here to talk about her best-selling memoir, Both Slash And, A Life in Many Worlds. Huma, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Trevor. Uh, you have lived a life that is, I mean, just in, in proximity to action all the time. I mean, just, just listening to this, you know, when I was going through it again, it's, it's you, you, you were by somebody's side who was running for president twice. Um, you know, you were somebody's side, well, she was um, serving as Secretary of State, as Senator of New York, and you had to wake that same person up <laughs> from bed when she was First Lady. The person I'm talking about, of course, is Hillary Clinton. Let's talk about that first. How do you wake up a sleeping first lady? <laughs> so, first of all, I'm, I'm thrilled to be with you today. And I, um, yes, when I walked into the White House, I was a 21-year-old intern. I didn't exactly know what I was doing. And there was very much, at least in the Clinton administration, the sink or swim attitudes. They kind of threw you into it. And so this was the midst of her Senate campaign. She was right, the first lady right. running for the Senate. And one morning, the White House operator says, well, she's not responding. Now, as somebody who had followed all the rules. One of the first learned rules you learn in the White House is fail to plan, plan to fail. And I had a plan. The plan was that she was going to wake up. So I didn't know how to wake her up. So I decided to march into the hallway. I tiptoe in the back. <laughs> I knock on the door and I say, Mrs. Clinton, no response. So finally I open the door, tiptoe in and shake her really hard. And not only did I wake her up, I woke up the leader of the free world and the ghost of Lincoln, the entire house was alerted. And the funniest thing about the story is that she gets up, she gets in the chair to get her makeup done. And she turns to me and she says, Huma, Next time, just knock louder. Yeah, that was a big jump <laughs> from knock softly, shake your ass. Exactly. That's like a big jump. I learned a lesson that day. Okay. And okay. now I always knock louder. I mean, I, I like haven't that. had to do it for a while, but that's a lesson I, like I that. pass on. Yeah, just like it's incremental steps, the journey <laughs> exactly. of Huma Abedin. Um, we had a lot of fun, that's for sure. It does, it does sound like that. I mean, you, you've had a really interesting relationship with Hillary Clinton, mm. who is, you know, in, in America, I mean, a person who will go down in history. Like, people will love her, people will hate her, people will talk about her. You, you've seen sides of her that nobody else will. And what, what I really enjoyed in your book is you talk about seeing those sides of Hillary mm -hmm. and you talk about how difficult it was for Hillary to navigate the journey of being perfect and like talking perfectly and looking perfect. It seems like there was no, there was no way to win. When you were doing that, when you were trying to create the perfect image of a Hillary Clinton, like where was this external pressure coming from? You know, Trevor, so much of it is hindsight is twenty twenty. When we were in it in the moment, there was no perfect way to be. And one of our challenges, I actually write in 2008, we, even on the inside, we didn't know how to deal with some of the sexist and misogynistic uh, comments, so we just laughed around along with it. We just assumed this was the price you paid for mm. being in the game. So if you said she should wear brown, we'd wear brown. If you said she should talk louder, okay, let's try to talk louder. And it was constantly shape-shifting, if you will, responding to people's comments, but nothing was ever right. And I think 2016 was next level in that here we were, and everybody had a different, uh, everyone had a different response. And I actually share a story in the book with a Hollywood director right. calls me and says, you know, I'm gonna give her some media training. And I said, well, give me an idea of who she should be like. And they said, well, her husband. And I said, well, excellent. Anybody else? President Obama, both phenomenal communicators, right. you know, legendary communicators, both men. 
And so we could never quite get it right. We kept trying. And I think that it's in part because we have a hard time seeing women in leadership. Right. Forget commander in chief, Trevor, just seeing women in leadership positions. And I agree with you. Not everyone's going to necessarily agree with everything Hillary right, Clinton right, believes. Right, yeah. But she is a historic figure for this country and the world. And she tried to pave the way forward. And she's got some cracks in that ceiling. And somebody's going to step in those shoes. And in fact, we have a vice president who stepped in those shoes. Right, right. Who's also being criticized for how she laughs or how she doesn't laugh. You know, there seems to be a fine line that can, like, no one can really walk perfectly. Right. Um, you you have faced a lot of that criticism. You have faced, you, you know, I think a lot of extra scrutiny because you're not just a woman, but you're also a Muslim woman. You're a Muslim woman who's been working in American government for so long. Reading through the book, there were things I didn't know about you. I was like, wow, I didn't know that you had your moments of, you know, being the terrorist mm -hmm. that people were talking about, actual you know, sitting members of Congress saying like, oh, there she is, the member of this organization, the member. Do you think it got better or, or do you think it just, you know, went underground for a little bit? Because you're seeing this, you know, with Lauren Boebert, for instance, now coming and saying Ilhan Omar, the, you know, Absolutely. the backpack in, the, in, in, in the, the elevator. Do you think it got better as a Muslim person working in government or do you think it just shifted maybe? I actually think that what happened to me in 2012, as you were referring, where five Republican members of Congress suggested I was essentially a spy, not a patriot. Yeah. I was that American Trevor that as I traveled the world as a little girl, and we went everywhere from South Africa to London, to Paris, to Asia, every time we landed, I would turn to my mother and say, is it America yet? Why? Because to me, America wasn't just a place that you could go to a movie theater, things I didn't have back in Saudi Arabia, or you could wear what you wanted. It was a feeling. Mm. It was a sense of choice and optimism and appreciation for you know those principles and values. So I've always walked with great pride as an American. I do think when they accused me of being essentially a spy, it was unleashing, I think it was an appetizer, Trevor, to what we were to face in 2016, when certainly Muslims and many brown people became the other. And I'm not just saying my kind of brown, generally, if you right, were a right, person right. of color, you were the other and they succeeded in doing it. I think it unleashed, I think Donald Trump unleashed permission to have this kind of dialogue and conversation. It's one of the many reasons I wrote this book is to explain to the country what it is to be an American Muslim. It's not just heart-wrenching, but it's also really vulnerable how you share your story. You know, your name really just rose to prominence in the country with the Anthony Weiner story, your ex-husband. And I remember at the time, I mean, I wasn't familiar with American politics, but the story was blowing up. A lot of the women who I worked with, they were just like, oh, man, this is so shitty. Like, as women, we, we have to deal with the shit that our men do. We have to bear their shame as well. And you, you, you really lay it out elegantly and, and vulnerably in the book. But what was really surprising to me is at the end of the book, you acknowledge and thank your ex-husband. And I'd love to know why you did that and, and if that was a true feeling that you had or if you thought, no, this is the high road that I need to take. Um, you know, I do acknowledge Anthony in the end of the book. And the reason I do that is two things. The first is he gave me the single most important thing in my life. That's my little boy. Um, and he gave me that sense of feeling. I know what it is to be loved. And if yeah. you read the book, to feel like the most special person in the room. I didn't have a lot of experience with men before I, I met Anthony. And I wanted to be seen not as, even though I have a whole chapter in the book called Elephant in the Room and right. another one called Shame, Shame, Go Away. Even though I did live with a lot of shame and felt judged for much of my marriage, I tried to make every decision I thought was right for me 
and for my little boy. Mm. And I've actually been surprised by the number of people who've read the book and read to the end, seeing how I made these decisions as it related to my marriage, saying, okay, I understand now, I get it. And I think people who have in their life loved ones who deal with addiction or mental health challenges, they understand. For people who don't, it's harder. And so I'm really glad, I'm, I'm very humbled to hear people understand it once they read the story and see that there is another side. There is hope and possibility and optimism. Well, to be honest with you, I think everybody does understand. I just think as human beings, it is easier for us to judge a situation that is happening outside of us because when we're not in love or when we don't love somebody or we're not experiencing a negative thing with a loved one, the, 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 the answer is obvious. You know, so you go, you should do this. You shouldn't do that. That's what I, it's like when we're watching a TV show, you know what all the characters should do, but you're, you're the character in your own TV show. And then you never know what to do from episode to episode. Trevor, that is so beautifully said. Yeah. I I could not agree more. And you're you're right. When you're judging somebody else, if you're in that position, would you actually do the same thing? It's it's so so easy because you're watching it. You know, that's, that's what it is. Uma, thank you so much for joining me. Trevor, thank you for having me. All right, people. Huma's book, both slash and is available wherever books are sold. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight, but before we go, this weekend, a series of tornadoes ravaged six states and dozens of towns across the central United States. The Global Empowerment Mission are on the ground in Kentucky, and they need your help. So if you can, please donate to their Kentucky Fund at the link below. Your support will directly impact all of the affected communities. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central. And stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 